Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today our senior pastor Perry Duggar will deliver a message in our series about the life of Samuel the prophet. If you would like to follow along with this message, you can do so by turning in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 15. You can also find our weekly message outline and many other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood app. You know, the Bible's full of stories. We've been looking at the, the story of Samuel, the life of Samuel. But of course, the Bible doesn't include everything that was done and everything even that Jesus said and did. Revelation says that there wouldn't be enough books that could fill all the, the uh, incidents and actions that Jesus did and said, things he said. So God has chosen, the Spirit has included certain stories for us to learn from. And these stories, though they may be thousands of years old, apply to us today so that we can learn not only who God is, but learn how to relate to him. So we continue with our series, Belonging to God, which describes Samuel, the prophet, the priest, the judge, the last judge. Today's message is entitled, Obedience. Now, the, take out your message guide. I changed the theme verse. I actually turn in the outline before I write the message. So uh, the theme verse, this one is out of the passage, but I usually give you a verse that is one you can memorize and you can, you know, take it with you, live by it, use it as a guide. So I've substituted this one, 1 John 2, 5. So, so if you're memorizing, I'd rather you memorize this one even than 1 Samuel 15. But those who obey God's truth truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Now, see, it doesn't say obedience is a condition of salvation, does it? It says obedience is evidence of salvation. And it's evidence for whom? It's evidence for us. See, I'm reassured of my salvation when I see and I experience my desire to obey, my desire to please. Salvation, you see, unfortunately, I think sometimes we can view salvation as just meaning that we slip into heaven after we die. But I think it's better to understand salvation as an invitation into a lifelong relationship with God. And our obedience reveals the nature of that relationship. Is it real? Is it substantive? What's the nature of it? What's the extent of it? Our focus today is on King Saul. And unfortunately, it's on Saul's disobedience of God's direction. And the terrible consequences of that disobedience. So as we begin, just so that we can see ourselves in this story, we need to ask ourselves, does my life, and in particular my obedience, reveal 
a love relationship with God. You know, when you love someone, you desire to please that person, don't you? Is that seen in, my, in the way I relate to God? Now, we go back to 1 Samuel chapter 13. I'll skip around some today because we have a lot of passages to cover. And so the background for today's message, beginning at chapter 1, I mean at verse 1 in chapter 13 on 233 in this Bible that we sell. Saul was 30 years old when he became king and he reigned for 42 years. Verse 2 says that Saul selected 3,000 soldiers out of the army, that he took 2,000 of them with him to Michmash, and he gave 1,000 to Jonathan, who was Saul's son. So we pick back up at 3. Soon after this, Jonathan attacked and defeated the garrison of Philistines at Geba. The news spread quickly among the Philistines, so Saul blew the ram's horn throughout the land, saying, Hebrews, hear this. Rise up in revolt. Now this Geba was less than three miles from Israel's capital, which Israel's capital capital wasn't yet Jerusalem. Who established Jerusalem as the capital? David did. The capital now is Gabeah, so it's only three miles from Geba. So you could see the threat having the enemy army that close. So we continued. All Israel heard the news that Saul had destroyed the Philistine garrison at Geba. Actually, Jonathan did it on behalf of Saul. And that the Philistines now hated the Israelites more than ever. So the entire Israelite army was summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. Now this victory at Geba is just one garrison, one town. It served to incite the anger of the Philistines. And the Philistines assembled a terrifying military force. At verse 5, the Philistines mustered a mighty army of 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and as many warriors as the grains of sand on the seashore. They camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. These men of Israel saw what a tight spot they were in. And because they were hard-pressed by the enemy, they tried to hide in caves, Thickets, rocks, holes, and cisterns. A lot of them were hiding, weren't they? Some of them crossed the Jordan River and escaped into the land of Gad and Gilead. So the soldiers of Israel are terrified. They're, they're frightened, and so they're fleeing and they're hiding. Now we're going to see what Saul did under this pressure. Did he obey and it, <laughs> it must be feeding time for someone. <laughs> and as we do, we'll reflect on our own responses. Bring that child up here. I can't talk anyway. So he <laughs> that one can sing, I guarantee you. That's, there's some lungs. <laughs> And so, and we'll reflect on our own responses. Now, what we're going to see is when we consider Saul's disobedience, but we're flipping it to see our obedience and see that we can't allow our obedience to be controlled by external things. 
And we began by seeing that obedience refuses control by circumstances. Verse 7, the latter part of verse 7. Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal, and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel, as Samuel had instructed him earlier. But Samuel didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away, so he demanded, bring me the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, and Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet and welcome him. Now, Samuel, has Samuel arrived late? No. Because Saul's only offered one of the sacrifices. He didn't get to offer two. Samuel showed up on the seventh day. But Samuel said, what is this you have done? Boy, sometimes a simple question cuts right through us, doesn't it? What is this you have done? Because you see, was it wrong for Saul to offer the sacrifice? What do you think? Why? He's not a priest. He's not a priest. And only priests were authorized to offer sacrifices. Numbers 18, 7. So Saul replied defensively, I think. I saw my men scattering from me. And you didn't arrive when you said you would. And the Philistines are at Michmash ready for battle. So I said the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal. And I haven't even asked the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. Anybody hear any rationalizing? Did Saul accept any responsibility? Who did he blame? Who first? Blame Samuel. Blamed his men. Third, he blamed the Philistine army. Yeah, he didn't really articulate against God at this point. So he's justifying his disobedience by blaming other people. But he doesn't include himself, does he? He even takes a shot at Samuel. Now, Samuel arrived on the day he designated Sacrifices, you see, were offered twice a day. Exodus 29, Numbers 28 tells us. They were offered at dawn and also at dusk. Some translations say in the morning and at twilight. But dawn and dusk. So Samuel could have still made both sacrifices at dusk. So why did Saul offer it? Why? What do you think, Larry? Why'd he do it? He was scared. He was scared, wasn't he? So fear and apprehension caused Saul to forget that God can be trusted to protect. So here we see that Saul was controlled by external circumstances 
rather than trusting God and obeying God's word. He even thought he could obtain God's blessing through an act of disobedience. And so you see, what you see is he put more emphasis on a religious ritual than on a relationship. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. And we're at verse 13. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. He gave it in the scripture, but he also gave it from Samuel's spoken direction. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Now what this specifically means is that, you know, in a monarchy, the king's son would become king after him. And so what Samuel is saying here is that your descendants will not take the throne. Your legacy is over. But what we see fundamentally is that Saul's disobedience revealed something deep. It revealed a lack of respect, a lack of reverence, a lack of love for God. And 1 Samuel 12, verses 20 through 25 that we looked at recently showed us clearly that Israel's king must be under God, must fear and obey God always. And if he did, he would be blessed. But under stress and under pressure and because of fear, Saul forgot it all. Now, was Saul, was, were Saul's actions reasonable? What do you think? I think they were too. I think Saul's actions were reasonable concerning the threatening circumstances. And he did acknowledge God. He, 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 he was offering the sacrifice. But that was only attempting to use God as a resource for battle. Not reverencing him. How many of us use God as a good luck charm? We don't pursue relationship, but we do quote something. We throw up a prayer under stress. But God's like an amulet. He's a good luck charm that we think will give us protection when we don't pursue the relationship. See, Saul didn't see that being right with God in relationship was the most important preparation for battle. Do we? When you're under stress, do you pray or do you start maneuvering? What about Robert? Which one? Do we stop and do we pray or do we start pulling levers? Moving something around, pushing somebody out of the way, even a little manipulation, even something that's not completely honest. Because i got to handle this. This is on me. I've, I'm threatened. I've got this circumstances. I've got to do something about it. Because you see, for many of us, 
God's not actually a resource. He's just our hope of passing into heaven. We don't see him as a real, powerful, practical force in this world. And so whatever happens, we start reaching and grabbing, don't we? We start manipulating and maneuvering. Because we're just counting on God. We don't really want to have to count on God too much, do we? Lisa, we don't want to have to rely on him, do we? We want to do, I, I can handle this. Because I think that my hands are more powerful than his. You know, how many of you have caused something to happen when you saw a situation and it blew up on you? And how many of us have experienced stopping and praying and seeing God move a matter out of the way? See, when you shove somebody out of your way, you're going to damage your relationship. When you pray, God can work inside of someone so that they think it was their idea. Has anybody experienced that? Look at this verse. Everybody knows this verse, but do we know this verse? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding, which means don't react to what you see. Isn't that what it means? Don't do what you think you ought to do. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you the path to take. How many of you believe that? You believe it, Chris? I saw that hesitation back there. Because here, if we believe that, you know what it means? It means instead of reaching, we do what? We stop. We pray. We ask. Believe in his direction. His instruction will be the right one. And mine might not. Now, he might endorse what you're thinking. So under pressure, what do you do? Do you stop and pray or do you forget God and take matters into your own hands? When a a crisis is arising, sometimes the most faith-filled thing to do is what? Nothing. I mean, let's think about it. How much damage have we done by grabbing something? I'm going to fix this. Obedience also resists control by pride. Now, I'm skipping chapter 14. It talks about numerous military victories over different enemies. And I want you to read it, but I'm not going to take time with it now. But we're going to 15. So skip over a page and go to chapter 15. At verse 1. One day Samuel said to Saul, it was the Lord who told me, this is later, of course, it was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people, Israel. Now listen to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's army has declared. I have decided 
to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now, the Amalekites were a people who, they kind of were a roaming nomadic people in the, in the wilderness area. And when, when Israel was coming out of Egypt, they were walking long distances. They were exhausted. Sometimes they were hungry. They were tired. They were thirsty. And imagine there were people of all ages because Israel had been imprisoned for 400 years. So you had some newborns. You had some pregnant women. You had some old people. And so they're stumbling along in this wilderness. And some of them can't keep up. And Amalek and his army came in and killed all the stragglers and attacked Israel when they were weak, when they were exhausted, when they were weary. And it's interesting how God, you see God's favor on his people, particularly in that deliverance. And, and many of the things that Jews today celebrate go back to the Exodus and God's deliverance. But at that point, God declared the destruction of the Amalekites because of the way they treated Israel as they were coming out of slavery and they stayed in in the wilderness. Verse three, now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation, men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. Deuteronomy 20 Joshua 16, I mean 6, 17. The purpose of total destruction was to eliminate the spread of idolatry. Deuteronomy 20, 18. So Saul heard that and he mobilized his army at Telaim. There were 200,000 soldiers from Israel and 10,000 men from Judah. Then Saul and his army went to a town of the Amalekites and lay in wait in the valley. Now, verse 6, though, says that there were Kenites, another people living among them, and the Kenites had been kind to the Israelites. And so the Kenites were all told, we're going to attack, and you pack up and leave. And so they, they were allowed to leave, Numbers 10. Then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and goats, the cattle and the fat calves, and the lambs, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm sorry that I've ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me. And has refused to obey my command. God was sorrowful. Doesn't mean that God thought that he had made a mistake. His decision for Saul was deliberate. But Saul had the opportunity to obey or disobey. And so God has a sadness at the disobedience of Saul. And Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this 
that he cried out to the Lord all night. That's interesting, isn't it? You know, sometimes when somebody destroys their own life, makes a mistake, steps into addiction, destroys their home, whatever, is dishonest, we can sometimes have the attitude, well, they deserve what they get. And yet Samuel wept and mourned over Saul's disobedient behavior. Are you mourning over anyone right now who's damaging their own life? By their choice. But are we quick to wipe them away or do we mourn, weep, cry, have sorrow for the destruction that's fallen into their lives? Different attitude, isn't it? Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. And someone told him, Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. And then he went on to Gilgal. Now I want you to think about Saul. Saul has become someone who is filled with pride. Now remember, he's the same guy that not that long ago was hiding among the luggage. You remember that? 1 Samuel 10, verse 22, they were announcing, Samuel was announcing Saul to be the first king of Israel and they couldn't find him. They had to ask God where he's hiding. And he was hiding among the suitcases. Well, how, does, how do you go from being the guy that hides among the suitcases to the guy who erects statues for himself? You think that's the same man? Okay, who's brave? Who's going to tell me? Is that the same? Is that the same? You're already nodding your head. No. <laughs> What's that mean? Don't call on me. Is this the same man? Which, which one is he? Is he the guy that hides among the luggage or is he the guy that erects statues for himself? Or are they the same? What do you think? They're the same. They're the same. But I want you to look, you got to look close now. Here's a man who is, who is taking all the credit. He's forgetting or never believed that it was really God who granted the victories. In verse 13, when Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's command. Does he know that he hasn't carried out the Lord's command? Well, sure he does. What's he doing then? He's distracting. You know what I'm talking about? You've done something you were not supposed to do. And your spouse is coming home. So here you are bearing gifts. May the Lord bless you. I'm so happy to see you. I've done everything I was supposed to do. Do you know anybody that's ever done that?
But I want you to think about Saul. And I want you to dig deeper and see. You say, but that's a proud man. And this was a, this was a man who, who was insecure. Same man. Same man. Understand this. Insecurity and ego or pride are the two sides of the same coin. The person that's always boasting, always bragging, wanting to erect statues, even verbally to themselves, is the most insecure man or woman in the room. The most secure, the most confident one will always be the quietest. Well, how do you know that? Well, how would Jesus have acted? The standard's always Jesus. See, when he's erecting this statue, who is he trying to prove that he's powerful? Who? That was the right answer. I don't even know who said it, but that was the right answer. Himself. Somebody who's always talking is typically trying to convince themselves more than they're trying to convince the hearers. Because the deficit's within. But it's deep within. It is deep within. Saul is so focused on proving something, on these accomplishments, that he, is, that he even disregards what God has said to him. See, why would God choose such a man? So God gets the credit. Pride, self-centeredness, arrogance are all related to worship of self. Which is a form of idolatry. Am I more concerned, and this is how much headspace you give it, am I more concerned with my ambition and my accomplishments or with my relationship to God? Have you noticed that when your focus is on someone else, you're not, you become unaware of self? Have you noticed that? You have to really be concerned, focused on self. If you're always, your feelings are always hurt, you're always mad about something. If I have concern for you most of the time, I don't even notice when I'm slighted. Obedience rejects control also by people. Verse 14. Now remember, Saul has just come out and he greeted him cheerfully. That's the way you walk out with that gift in your hand. May the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's command. It might look like this. Honey, I've done everything you asked me to do. And you know you've been laying on that sofa watching four hours of sports. Same thing. Same thing. And here's Samuel's response. Then what is all the bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle I hear? Samuel demanded. Now it's, it's true. It's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle, Saul admitted. But, but, but they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. 
and we've destroyed everything else. Saul blamed his soldiers for keeping the cattle, the livestock. But verse 9 says Saul and his men spared them. And here he adds, but you see all, these, all this livestock? We're going to sacrifice it to God. We're sacrificing this to God. Do you think Saul was fooled? I mean, Samuel was fooled? What do you think they intended to sacrifice it to God? Yeah. They were going to sacrifice some of it at least to God. Sure they would. I mean, they had this religious training. These were Jews. These were Israelites. So they would have sacrificed some, but they were eating some as well. And were they supposed to eat it? No, because they weren't priests. And all of it was a violation of what God explicitly said when, it, when they were told, destroy everything. Take none to yourself. Offer everything as a sacrifice. Verse 16. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop, listen to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you? Saul asked. And Samuel told him, although you may think little of yourself, See the insecurity? Although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel. See, being insecure is the right place to be before God. Isn't it? Boy, we we so want to fill ourselves up, don't we? I got to be confident. No, you've got to be dependent. I've got to be strong. No, you've got to be aware of your weakness. So you rely on God and not on yourself. See the difference? What Paul say? When I'm weak, I'm strong. But that means you say, I can't do this. You're at the right place. This isn't within my ability. Precisely when God shows up. So the weak man is in the right place for the strong God. And Samuel reminded Saul that the Lord anointed him as king. So in other words, why are you listening to your soldiers? They only do what you allow. Perhaps they knew he was weak and they pushed him around. That's that's possible. And the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, verse 18, until they're all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder? Plunder again, taken for themselves. And do what was evil in the Lord's sight. But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed every, everyone else. And then my troops, they brought the best of the sheep and goats and cattle and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. He can't help himself, can he? 
Now, I know nobody in this room has this ever happened to, but have you ever known anyone that just could not stop lying? You know what I'm saying? What are you doing? They just, they just they can't stop lying. And the hole gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. I killed everybody but the king. Incomplete obedience. Finish my sentence. Is disobedience. Incomplete obedience is disobedience. But these soldiers did it. Well, I'm glad we're not in that situation. Well, what about this one? I don't like what the government does with the money I pay, so why should I declare all my income? Don't you know that cash is tax exempt? Some of you think it is. Well, I mean, he paid the cash. This was a cash deal. There's no taxes on cash. I knew a guy, a pulpwood guy, when I was back in Georgia, and he used to say, you know there's no taxes on pulpwood. There are taxes on everything. Well, I don't like what they're doing. You're not being asked. You're being asked to obey. Well, okay, I helped myself to a little bit out of the cash register. I took a little something off the shelf, but you don't know how low they're paying me. You don't know how I've been treated. Well, I know I treated this person that way, but you don't know how this person treated me. Oh, it's, it's starting to get a little closer to home, isn't it? I mean, nobody could expect me to follow all those rules. It's reasonable to take a little cut for yourself, to hold a little back. Is it reasonable? Yeah. Is it godly? No. See the difference? See the difference? And again, he's blaming the soldiers, isn't he? And Samuel replied. This is where the verse that I gave you at first is the theme starts. What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. And stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. That's an exaggeration, isn't it? Don't you think? Stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols? How could that be? Because your resistance says what I think is more important than what God thinks. So you just became God. Anywhere we discount what God says and substitute our own opinions, we have become God, which is idolatry. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. He keeps saying this, doesn't he? Now, in chapter 13, he was saying, your dynasty is being rejected. Here he's saying, you are rejected as king. 
see, God desires obedience because of relationship. It shows our concern to please him rather than rigidly following religious ritual. So you can do religious rituals and, may, and you can have absolutely no personal relationship. Is that true? Now, God wants us to, let's say, let's, just hear me, I'll say this. I think God wants us to attend services, to come, to be part of a church family, to give, to serve, all those things. They're all in the scripture. But he calls us to those things because we have a relationship of love to him and we appreciate him. And we show up at service because we like joining with God's people. And we like hearing his spirit bring us a lesson. And I've told you, it's not what I say that's important. It's what God's spirit shows you that's important. You know, so do we say, hey, it's Sunday. I want to see what God's got for me today. I want to join with God's people and worship. Or do we say, well, how bad, what's the temperature? What about the weather? You know, is there some other ball game? Is there something on television? Is, are they starting the golf match early? Where, what motivates us? You see what I'm saying? Not obligation. There's no value in obligation. There's great value in relationship and an expression of love that shows in practical ways. Verse 24. Then Saul admitted to Samuel, Yes, I've sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command. Did he already know that? Yeah. For I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. He's the king. Let me tell you, I'll go ahead and say this. Fear of people is not an excuse for sin. Because we should have a fear of God, which means a reverence, but also there's an awesomeness of God. We should be more intimidated of disappointing God than disappointing our friends, shouldn't we? That's if that, if that relationship with God is intimate so that it matters how we affect him. But now, please forgive my sin, he continues. But then look where he goes. And come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. Well, couldn't he have worshiped the Lord without Samuel? So why did he want Samuel? What? He was worried about his image. He was less worried about the sin he'd committed against God than what the people might think. So he says, okay, yes, I've sinned, but will you go with me and worship? Because remember, the, the Jewish king, the king of Israel, was only a king under God. So if the, if the prophet of God walks away from you, it leaves him looking kind of lost and weak. He wanted to keep his status before the people, but he wasn't worried about his relationship with God. 
Boy, that's different, isn't it? But Samuel replied, I will not go back with you. Since you've rejected the Lord's command, he has rejected you as king of Israel. He's saying it over and over. As Samuel turned to go, Saul tried to hold him back and tore the hem of his robe. So what's Saul doing? What's his posture? He's on the ground. You don't tear a hem from the top. He's pleading. He's pleading, no, go back with me. Let the people see that you and I are good so they'll think I'm good with God. Don't walk away from me. And he's pulling him so strongly, he tears the hem of Samuel's robe. Am I more concerned about my relationship with God or what people think about my relationship with God? And Samuel said, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to someone else, someone who's better than you. This rejection is final. And then verse 29. And he who is the glory of Israel will not lie, will not, nor will he change his mind, for he is not human that he should change his mind. So the decision is final, it's fixed. Then Saul pleaded again, I know I have sinned, but please at least honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel by coming back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel finally agreed and went back with him. Was it concern for, or sympathy for Saul? Was it concern for the nation to keep following? I don't know which one. Beginning at verse 32, Samuel takes the sword and he kills the king, as Saul didn't do. But here's a verse for you as we close. Proverbs 29. Fear in people is a dangerous trap. Trust in the Lord means safety. Do I allow people to influence me into disobedience? And then it closes, sadly. Samuel never saw, never went to meet with Saul again. But he mourned constantly for him. And the Lord was sorry he ever made Saul king of Israel. You know, today as we close, our counselors will come. And you know, perhaps there's something that you want to pray off your chest, you know. You said, you know, as you speak, I realize I've been in disobedience and I've justified it and I've rationalized it and I want to confess it. Now, you can confess it where you sit or you can come and someone will pray with you. They'll also, if you want to just talk about how do I have a relationship with Christ or can I be anointed with oil for healing, they're here to do all those things. So you come as I close. Father, we thank you for this word. Please, by your Spirit, show us how your truth applies to our lives. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Please help stack the chairs. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. If you have any questions about this message or you would like to request prayer, we encourage you to visit our website at brookwoodchurch.org forward slash get help. 
You can also find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed week.